0: Welcome to episode 109 of the Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Krivat, host of the Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at krivatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is once again Jigger Shaw, founder of Sun Edison and Generate Capital, and currently the director of the Loan Programs Office at the U.S. Department of Energy. In December, pre Omicron, we sat down for a live fireside chat in Washington, D.C., at GridConnect to discuss his perspectives on decarbonizing the electric grid, technology that he's excited about, and how he views his new role. <laughs> oh, yeah, and we did it while sampling hot sauces with an increasing Scoville rating from Carma Sauce. It was fun putting Jigger on the hot seat. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid.
1: right into our next session here. We've got formerly co-founder of Generate Capital, where he accelerated decarbonization solutions. Now, as the director of the Loan Program Office for the U.S. Department of Energy, we have Jigger Shaw joining Lee Cravat, who hosts a podcast called The Climate Champions, where he sits down with leaders that are mitigating climate change. And so we are going to do that today live. And I'm going to pass it over to Lee in just a moment. You'll see that there are some props there. I will tell everyone in the audience that we will be tasting hot sauces live on stage, and this... Jigger, you've got a vest on. You might want yeah, exactly. to see what, at what level that vest comes off. Exactly. You, you exactly. can see that there are no napkins, only tissues on the table. Sometimes it's just like, so. you
2: know, sometimes when they when they put you in the hot seat, it's just a turn of
1: phrase, but... It is not a term. So you're going to be in the buddy. You're going to be a the uh, As I pass it to you, Lee, I just want everyone to know in here as you're leaving or as you're having lunch, everything that you guys will be tasting here, we've got extra bottles on your way out over by registration. Please feel free to take a few. Caution. You want to know which one. Cost- well, you're going you're gonna to know. So with no further ado, Lee, please.
0: So this concept was born. Karen saw... My brothers and I have a hot sauce review channel on YouTube called Cravat Attack. And we had Rob Wilhite who grows his own reapers on our show as a guest. And so Karen watched it because we're both board members and she thought it was great so she asked me to do this. So Cravat Attack on YouTube. And I
2: didn't know better to say no. (laughs) I used to eat really hot stuff. And now I've, like, lost all my ability to eat hot
0: food. Uh-oh. So. Yeah, I, I <laughs> don't know. I don't know if that's going to be a good thing. We do have two good karmas here and no bad karma. So if we can get a bottle of bad karma, that would be very helpful.
2: <laughs> we only want good karma.
0: <laughs> <laughs> bad karma is one of my favorite sauces for just every day. So Oh, that's great. You'll have a good time with that. So there's a show, actually, also on YouTube, called Hot Ones, and interviews are done over hot sauce, and because people are in pain, they're more forthcoming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the new truth serum. That's right. We'll save the tough questions for later when we get to the really, really tough causes. <laughs> so let's start off by actually having some, some good karma, even before we... Okay. Go, and this, we have biscuits here. Just take a little piece. This first one, good karma, is super easy. So I say that most anybody can have it without having any kind of issue. All right. Okay? I'm not tricking you.
2: I believe you. <laughs> I've known you for a long time. I know where you live. <laughs>
0: You have to do this, too, by the way. time-tested
2: approach to tasting hot sauces is the biscuit? No. (laughs) This is what we had. This is what we had. (laughs) Breakfast hall? Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Very tasty sauce. For those people in the area, I feel like I'm going to, like, a California tortilla. (laughs) Don't they have, like, the whole wall of hot
0: sauces? Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Yes. Very mild. Very mild. Very tasty. Very easy. Yeah. Yeah. But now, of course... My mouth is dry and I can't ask a question. (laughs) (laughs) The biscuit got you. You're gonna say you're not famous, but I'm gonna say you are. And that was built on really distributed technologies. You innovated the model for solar, the business model for solar, and I think really changed the trajectory of solar. for The country so awesome. And I know you did a lot of distributed, other distributed technology work with batteries. You own a lot of batteries all over the place to generate capital. But this conference is about the importance of the grid as a platform for decarbonization. Yeah. Can you talk about that importance or disagree with it?
2: Yeah. Well, so just one correction. I don't own any of this stuff anymore. The government didn't sell it. So I don't own anything anymore. I think I own (laughs) diversified mutual funds at this point. And I grew up in a really small town where you used to fight over whether you're a Ford guy or a Chevy guy right? Um, in Sterling, Illinois. And I think that when you think about that population of people, you know, resilience and independence goes pretty deep. And I think that for a long time, as you know, the utility basically said you weren't allowed to practice independence or resiliency, right? That you weren't allowed to have any ideas outside of their idea because they were much smarter than you were. So a lot of what we did was said, no, we need to have protocols by which we can put solar on our house or... Figure out how to, you know, put in a geothermal heat pump or do whatever it is that we wanted to do to make ourselves more independent and resilient. And the utility should be um, capable of adjusting to all of those loads, et cetera. In 2013, I moved to New York and joined Richard Kaufman to help him with the Energies Are uh, work in New York. And I was just shocked. I mean, you know, he had asked me about, you know, they want to decarbonize New York and all these other things. And I think that at the time at which I went there the grid utilization of New York was down at 31%. And I was like, how is that possible? The electric utility is saying that we need to wait three years to interconnect a solar or a wind farm because there's no grid capacity, right? And you know, you start going down the rabbit hole, nothing makes sense, you start coming back out, you start meeting with you guys. Like You learn about you know, dynamic load ratings and all these other things, and it turns out that you know, we basically have this theoretical structure, where we need to like sort of plan for the worst, and the grid utilization and the way the grid is planned is for the worst, and the rest of the time it's unused, right? Because the worst doesn't happen every day. And then you say, well, how do I get access to that unused portion? Well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's that's not a very easy thing to do. You just have to stand in the queue, and you can only buy. The parts of the grid in 8,760-hour chunks, you can't buy it in smaller chunks. Like today, I'll give you an example of the ridiculousness, right? So today, I totally get, right, solar and wind guys are being unreasonable. They want to be able to put power into the grid, whenever it is that they produce it. So they get a chunk of capacity, right? And they get an interconnection queue, and they wait. And they get a, a queue position, right? And it kind of is dumb, right? So like some coal plant reduces their interconnection usage, That then goes back to the queue, and someone else gets it, right? That person has a 20% capacity factor. The other person has a 70% capacity factor. So they get the same capacity, but the amount of kilowatt hours going in goes down. Therefore, the grid utilization is down. Got it. But guess who else is in the queue? Batteries. Why would batteries be in the queue? It doesn't make any sense. You don't need to be in the queue at all. You're, by definition, a curtailable resource, right? When there's capacity, you charge. When there's capacity, you discharge. When there's no capacity, you can't do anything. That seems really easy, but guess who's in the queue behind the solar and wind guys? The battery guys. Feels pretty simple to solve. So that's the extent to what I know about transmission.
0: So it seems that you think it's important. Otherwise, how would you get the solar and the batteries to where the load is?
2: Well, I mean I think it's important, but I think that I think the bigger thing is that you know, like for me it's all about capital flows, right? Not electron flows, right? The question really becomes you know, like cuz everyone says, well, you know, the grid's broken. And for us to get to a 100% decarbonized grid, we need more grid right and so we need to build you know it depends on the number right some people say we need an extra 100 billion dollars in the grid some people say we need an extra 200 billion dollars in the grid and i think it depends on how much renewable energy capacity basically that they variable renewable energy capacity they want right fine but the alternative view on this side is you don't need any additional grid capacity right i mean if you do a thought experiment by definition if you just replaced all of the coal plant and natural gas plants in the country with nuclear plants and they run at 95% capacity factors, well, then you don't need any more grid. You just use the existing grid you have now, right? And then you use batteries at you know, the ends of the nodes to be able to like, you know, keep the utilization of the existing grid high, right? So for me, it's not about the technical solution, although I'm an engineer and I understand a lot of it. It's about where the capital wants to flow, right? And so if the capital wants to flow to nuclear plants, to utilize the existing grid and then we don't build, you know, we still have to build some new grid, obviously. Great. If the capital wants to float a solar and wind and, you know, and they want to force them to have two days of battery storage so they act like a nuclear plant, great. If they want to, like, actually let solar and wind go in for two hours of battery storage and build an extra $200 billion of grid, fantastic, right? Like. But to me, where does the capital actually want to flow and who flows the capital, right? Is it the utility company that flows the capital? Is it independent power producers that flow the capital? Is it the public service commission, the state energy offices? I think instead we're, we like argue over whether the grid's important, whether distributed generation's important, whether nuclear power is important. I was like, they're all important. They're all children of our grid, right? So we like everyone, right? So it's more about the power struggle between tax credits and loan guarantees and, you know, monopoly franchises and independent power producers and the capital that they wield is how this gets solved. All right. Let's do the bad karma. Let's do it. I
0: feel like I deserve some bad karma. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people are thinking that. (laughs) This is about twice as spicy for those of you who are thinking of trying it. It's got some kick. It's got more cake, That's right? It's still fine, but yeah. it, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. Does definitely has more kick. Yeah, each one is a little bit more, so it won't kill you. Until the last one. The most menacing thing about this
2: whole plate is the milk. Because <laughs> it feels like, why would I need that much milk?
0: <laughs> you may need it. So I talk about the technology in clean tech as happening in waves. So for me, solar was a very successful wave and still yeah. is, and it's kind of leading things. And i put wind up there with it. And then batteries kind of came behind it and, and EVs are in there. Mm-hmm. And I think they're doing well and continue to do well. What is the next wave that we should be thinking about that will happen or one that you hope will happen? Yeah. So again,
2: I mean, my answers are all based on capital flows, right? So if you look at residential solar, today we originate as a country $1.5 billion a month of residential solar paper, right? So loan documents. And roughly a billion of that a month is securitized on Wall Street, right? So they get 2% cost of capital after securitization. So now the question is, what do those platforms have to offer, right? They have the ability to provide, you know, 60 second approvals to people, right? You tap in a few keystrokes and they say you're approved or you're not approved or you're approved with, you know, a much higher (laughs) interest rate or whatever it is, right? So now the question becomes, where is the process broken, right? And where can those people expand their market? And, you know, it turns out that lower modern income consumers are scared to death of their refrigerator breaking because they got $75 worth of food in there that they don't want to go bad. And it turns out that they generally pay 30% interest for a new refrigerator because they could have got it for 750 bucks but the only person that was willing to finance it for them charges them $950 and a 12% interest rate, which net-net is a 30% interest rate off of $750. Turns out that these platforms can easily intervene and provide them with the same interest rates they're providing now, let's call it 7 or 8%, for $750, right? And then guess what else that refrigerator can do? It can be a DER resource, right? Because what is a refrigerator? Thermal storage, right? Same thing's true with water heaters. Same thing's true with HVAC units with thermostats attached to them. And the same thing is true, by the way, as Bob suggested, for the F-150 Lightning. And so now the question becomes, if we can actually take 1 15th of all of the appliances in the country, which is what the turnover rate is, every year and convert them to DERs, and you match it with FERC order 2222, which says that the independent system operators now have to pay DERs the same that they pay a peaker plant, well now, that's a $40 billion market every year, right there, right? Not just the appliances, but that's what the grid pays for grid services, is $40 billion a year for balancing load, you know, and that kind of thing, right? And so now, if I can pay a poor person to provide grid flexibility, instead of paying a peaker plant to provide grid flexibility. Like, well, I've just like ticked at least 17 boxes for the president.
0: Jigger, 12 years ago at SDGE, we put together a plan and I was heavily yes. involved about smart appliances and grid-attached yeah. appliances. And I was saying it would happen in the next three years and it still hasn't really come. So it sounds like the next wave, in your opinion, is that we're actually going to do this. We're actually going to find a
2: way to it. these solar financing platforms we'll have 51% market share by next summer of all HVAC financing for residential. It's awesome. And that's why I track the capital flows because that is the key. And then the other thing is once you have a, a loan, right? It's not that hard to put a one page paper in the back that says you're registered to a DER platform. It costs $600 per customer right now to register someone to a DER platform. This would cost $0 to register somebody to a DR platform. Now, because I care deeply about consumer protections, we'll make sure they can actually opt out, but the opting in part is the hard part.
0: I love this trigger. Let's do the cherry bomb.
2: Oh, for the <laughs> love of God.
0: No, this is just a little step up from the last one. <laughs> but it's, it's, so not, the that cherry, it's not that bad. Cherry sounds
2: like uh, false advertising. No,
0: no, no. It tastes like cherry pie. It's just very hot cherry pie. <laughs>
2: I think there's a 1970s song about it's, that.
0: You'll see it's getting thicker because there's more pieces of pepper in there now.
2: Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> you can go light pepper? if
0: you want. You know, you decide how much you want. But it has a very nice shape Is this enough? Sure. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I'm burning now.
2: Yeah, it definitely has a kick to it. Yeah. That's the problem with these hot sauces. They taste fine when they, go, they come in and then they slow burn. For like the next 60 seconds
0: i'll, I'll ask the question during the pain part. Yeah, thanks for that <laughs> <laughs> on our show we rated good a one bad a two and cherry bomb we rated a three me my brothers and i so yeah i thought i thought it was pretty good yeah it's a great sauce it's just yeah. a little hot i mean you have to want it's definitely hot yeah. it's definitely hotter
2: for sure but it's yeah. uh it's more flavorful than the first two
0: yeah it's it's uh, i think their top seller won a bunch of awards Okay, I don't want you to violate any NDAs. I can't but... sign any anymore.
2: Oh, the federal government awesome. like uh, doesn't allow
0: to sign NDAs. So, what potential transformational technologies are you seeing, and are you excited about?
2: Well, again, remember, like I mean, I'm a broken record about this. Like, I don't think of things in transformational technologies. I think of things in transformational deployment. Right. The vast majority of stuff that transform our lives was, you know, transformational at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, you know, 18 years ago. It just happens to be that people finally started buying it this week, right? And so... Zoom. Think of how long we had
0: video conferencing and now boom.
2: Yeah, for sure. But even smartphones, right? I mean, like Bomber in 2007 said the iPhone would never sell. I think the bigger thing about transformation for me is just around figuring out where people spend money, right? The average backup generator for a home right now is six months backlogged right now, and the average person is paying $32,000, right? So when Bob sits up here and says that the F-150 Lightning has this capability, I don't think he's gonna charge $32,000 for that option, right? I think he might charge $1,000 for that option, maybe $2,000 for that option. That's a damn cheap generator, right? And you don't have to wait six months to get it, right? And so when people are like, well, are they gonna switch to electric vehicles? I was like, well, how often do you think they're going to be reminded that they need a backup generator, right? In Arlington, Virginia right now, you lose power at least twice a
0: month. A lot of parts of California, you have PSPS events, power safety shutoff events, and people I talk to, their biggest desire is to have some way of riding through those events. Yeah,
2: but it's, it's just so common. And I don't, I'm not beating up the utility for it. I'm not beating up anybody. Everyone's trying their best. But you know, for someone like me, like I live in Montgomery County, we learned for 14 years, Pepco, you know, had had been behind on the tree trimming budgets. And then, you know, they had the derecho. I don't know if you remember that. We all learned what a derecho was back in 2012, 2013. And people were out of power for a week. I mean, you had, you know, like metro buses that went to nursing homes and people would actually like go in one door and out the other door so they can get 15 minutes of air conditioning. So when these events continue to occur, you can imagine that the demand for resiliency services goes way up. And it's not really tied to your income level, it's tied to you know like the amount of pain that you experience. And then when you combine that with the fact that the vast majority of government workers, forget about the rest of the workforce, government workers are all working remotely. And after we are asked to go back to work next year, I think 50% of government workers are gonna stay working remotely. So now, if you're, income is tied to resiliency and your ability to get on to whatever, you know, platform of choice you have. Well, then that service becomes way more important. And last time I checked, you can't take your standard internal combustion engine car and plug it in. People who did that died in Houston, right, from carbon monoxide poisoning. So like, it's not safe to do that with those cars. And so when people say, well, is there going to be enough demand for electric vehicles. I was like, well, is there demand for resiliency at home? Yeah, I think that's transformational. I think you will see long queues of people waiting for electric cars for no other reason than to back up their house. And well, I'm the one financing all the gigafactories in the United States to provide the batteries for
0: all those cars. Awesome, let's do the next hot sauce. It's a step up, I'll give you more bread. It's a still ghost island <laughs> up,
2: up up seems like you know like you're like leading the witness.
0: Yeah, like maybe it's a step down If that one hurts <laughs> and it did a bit this one this one will hurt more So this is probably oh oopsie. gosh, you put a lot on that, one. that was way too much, but uh, <laughs> there you go I'm Definitely <laughs> not gonna put probably that much. 2x to that. You want to
2: share no, some no, of yours bit. with me? Oh, you, no, can, you, you can your your put own, some yeah. of that hot sauce on. <laughs>
0: Just be careful on the pour. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, this will step it up. Cheers. go. You know, cheers. Which one's
2: it called?
0: Ghost Island. Oh god. It's probably a ghost pepper, right? Yeah. It starts off not so bad, but it's gonna it's gonna kill you later. Well, I hope not. By the time we get to the answering part of the question. You co-founded Sun Edison. hmm You co-founded Generated Capital. Yeah. You've done great things. Thank you. In my opinion, in helping decarbonize our world. How are you going to top it in your current role where well, you had to diversify your assets?
2: Well, the beauty is I don't, right? I mean, the beauty of my current role is I'm currently in service. So when I was starting Sun Edison in 2003, I had read all the papers that Shimon Arbach had written about risk-reward on different energy technologies. And there's you know, this great case that he made that solar was a very low-risk asset. And I would go to the banks and say, Here's these papers, this is great. And these are all people that you know, by the way, that you guys all herald as paragons of, you know, like leadership, right? And they'd say, "Jigger, solar's unfinanceable, right? Um, Had I gone to the federal government for assistance, they also would have shut the door in my face. So my goal for the current job that I have now is to be of service, right? There are many people who have extraordinary ideas who just aren't heard. If they were to say to the government, hey, I think I deserve a $100 million loan, and I'm not yet an established Fortune 500 company, but my technology has gotten this validation from NREL, and this validation from Sandia, and this validation from Sempra, and this validation from whatever, and I still can't get a bank to listen to me. like I want to be that guy that will listen to them.
0: When I heard you had this job, I thought this is great because... Somebody decided, or some process decided, to give Tesla a loan when they needed a loan really bad, and now we have very different auto industry coming, right? Yeah. So. And an ungrateful billionaire. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not gonna. That's why I didn't mention a name. I didn't mention a name. Okay. I did a rap on him. Episode fifty one. Yeah, I did I a big it. rap of his I heard it. I thought and it I regret it now because he uh...
2: I mean but no but you shouldn't <laughs> regret it. I, I think that we should talk about this very clearly, right? When I say that capital flows are the most important thing, I in some ways mean that these potential billionaires are the most important thing, right? I can show you many, many instances since my career started in nineteen ninety-five around VHS beating out Betamax in the energy sector all the time, right? Technology never wins in this sector. Like you need entrepreneurs who are willing to be contrarian, who are willing to like do all of that stuff necessary to create the space for them to be successful, right? And, you know, I think that people just undervalue that. They they sort of think, Oh well, you know, it's gonna happen because we created these standards and we have these tax credits and da-da-da, whatever else, and we did the Public Service Commission and we got this thing changed. All of which is crucial. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But it also requires somebody with a force of will to actually say, I'm not gonna to continue to accept slow and
0: steady wins a race, right? Uh, uh, uh. That's why I did the rap, and it's interesting yeah. because my daughter says, "Dad, take it down," because of some things that Elon has done and said. No, and I'm like, he's still the climate champion, you he's, know, even he's though still,
2: well, he has, I don't, I don't
0: think that's true. But like, um,
2: <laughs> I mean, I
0: think that he <laughs> there is. There are some pure,
2: others. No, he's a champion for electric vehicles. If electric vehicles happen to destroy the earth, I think he'd still be pro electric vehicles. I think that in general, there are a lot of people who are pro technology, and I don't begrudge them for that. But they're not necessarily pro for figuring out how to save the planet from climate change. So are you hoping to have a Tesla?
0: Like find that kind of a company? No, I have a Volvo XC90. No, no, no. Are you looking for your own company that you give a loan to that makes it big? Is that one of your goals?
2: I have 60 of them in my pipeline now. The one that we will be announcing soon is, in my opinion, much bigger than Tesla. And they all have the potential of doing that, right? I mean, we have people who have extraordinary abilities to do like low carbon cement, right? And when you think about how much cement we use in the United States and in China and around the world, like that could be far more consequential than electric vehicles, far more consequential, right? When you think about, you know, some of the things we do on fertilizer, right? I mean, we import fertilizer from the Ukraine that gets shipped to Tampa, that gets put into a pipeline to Louisiana, that gets put into a pipeline in Nebraska. That's ridiculous. We have some of the cheapest natural gas in the country, in the world, and we can't make our own fertilizer, right? We have technology for that. I think we have the ability to do direct air capture for less than $70 a ton, right? What that means is once you have a regulatory construct by which polluters have to pay for all CO2 they put out of the door, then 70 bucks turns out to be the carbon price, right? Because you say, pollute as much as you want, just take it out, right? And so like, that's why direct air capture matters. And so like, I'm excited about all these things, and I do think we're gonna create 60 more Teslas out of this program. Awesome. I think what's happened to my body yeah. is that like over the years, my tongue no longer like gets overwhelmed with hot sauce, it's my neck. <laughs> It, it starts sweating, <laughs> and like, but my tongue has like been deadened or something. over Okay,
0: the this is much hotter. Okay. This one people shouldn't do unless they want pain. Okay,
2: <laughs> but it sounds like you're not giving me a choice. No. Okay.
0: Because you did. You said the other one was easier than the one before, so you you got to do it now. I don't recommend it for anybody that doesn't want to really challenge yourself. Okay, this is enough, right? That's way okay. more than enough. I just
2: don't want anybody accusing me of chickening out.
0: No nobody's gonna oh wow,' it, is you
2: this is one that's called funkin
0: hot Funkin hot <laughs> so it should heat up as it goes.
2: Oh it's heating up
0: <laughs> <laughs> now there's milk here for you if you need it. <laughs> okay, I might <clears throat> we'll see all right, so i'm gonna I'm gonna be on the hot seat so we don't have a lot of time left so if you can Thirty seconds yeah, on each. And this is in ten years. In ten years. Yeah. Hydrogen, still ten years away, and is it a friend or an enemy of the grid? We use ten million tons of
2: hydrogen in this country. The secretary has said that she has an earth shot of a dollar a kilogram. We'll hit that way before twenty thirty.
0: All right. Right. And friend so, of the
2: grid? It's a non-event for the grid. I mean, it's a friend for the grid in the sense that we will, as we talked about, we underutilize the grid, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we structurally underutilize the grid. So hydrogen will be a reverse peaker plan. Like every time there's excess capacity yeah. in the grid, we'll just make hydrogen. So I think it'll be a friend of the grid from that perspective.
0: All right, 10 years, what direction is the wind blowing? So we have
2: technologies today that can bring in wind components via like Boeing, like whatever, B-52 bombers. And so I think you will see wind turbines that literally the same exact footprint that we have now will be 80 meters higher and produce four times more power. So, so it'll bullish. produce way more. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. For the exact same footprint. We won't even need to build more wind farms. We'll just replace existing wind farms with things that will produce way more. How bright is solar? I mean, it's infinite, right? Like, I mean, I mean, we all know that solar is the ultimate future, right? I mean, I love nuclear power and I love everything else. But like, when you think about how much sun hits the earth every day, it's just extraordinary. I think what we will have in 10 years is a financial solution to not needing a credit backstop to solar. Right. So literally every single square foot that you see when you fly into an airport will be covered with solar every single square foot. And the reason for that is because you will find, and the utilities already know, that producing power in the distribution circuit is way, way better than producing it in the middle of the desert and bringing it in, right? And so they will get over their issues and figure out what to do with it. They can either store it, they can turn it into heat, they can turn it into hydrogen, they can like put in smart panels, they can do all sorts of stuff. They can use all the batteries and the cars as storage, they can do whatever they want to do, but they will no longer like push back on distributed generation in the way that they're doing now because it's just like I'll give you an example. Today, you can fill a Walmart store on the roof for a $1.30 a watt, right? That means you can generate power at five cents a kilowatt hour with like gargantuan profits for the finance sector. All the tariffs in the country are at, like 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So if there's nobody to buy that power for one third of the 20 years, it still makes sense to put it there. Like that, to me, is something people are not fathoming.
0: Yeah, super strong solar supporter, as always, nukes.
2: I will be announcing the first new nuclear plants being constructed in this country next year and uh, using small modular reactor technology. And I'm super excited about it because we basically can make nuclear plants in a factory. It's, it's sort of similar to an offshore wind nacelle, et cetera, right? Like, those are big pieces of machinery making 12 megawatts of power. Like, you know, it's big, right? A GE facility makes only 100 of them a year, right? We'll have those factories making SMRs. And, I mean, if you just look at data centers today, there are data centers today that use 1,000 megawatts of power. You'll just co-locate one of these nukes right next to it. Okay, last one. Will, will fuel cells sell? I was the largest investor in fuel cells when okay. we generate. So no, look, the thing with fuel cells, I think that's super important is remember, like this is ridiculously important stuff, right? This is stuff that was invented to put, you know, people in space. Right? This is not like and I don't mean this in a negative way, right? But like the steam engine basically just burns crap to make stuff, right? Like to make steam and then you basically do stuff. A fuel cell is an extraordinary piece of technology, right? We haven't yet figured out exactly where it fits into the entire ecosystem, but I'll give you one anecdote. If you walk down the streets of New York City, your air pollution there is worse than any other place in the country. And the reason for that is because all of the boilers in all of the buildings in New York City vent to where you're walking, like on the
0: sidewalk, right? And what's in that is really bad. Right. So when it's cold out, I shouldn't purposefully walk. past. When
2: it's warm out, cold out, whatever. They need to revent everything four stories up, And so a fuel cell doesn't do that. So just to save people from the air pollution, you could imagine people going to fuel cells in cities. But I don't know exactly. I haven't figured out the the magic bullet yet for fuel cells, but it's coming.
0: Hey, I want to thank you. I'm going to wrap this up now with a wrap, which you know I I, I like (laughs) to do. While I wipe my brow. (laughs) In order for the renewable mission to see, we've got to focus on efficiency and also individual resiliency. if a lot of people, the refrigerator, they have a reliance, so the next thing we're going to see is grid-attached appliance. For technology to feel the joy, the key is they have to know how to deploy. Listen, I've interviewed you before. I'm glad you came back for more. When it comes to being a climate champion, you have it at your core. Your innovation and energy, I really adore. I know I've made your throat a little sore. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, hopefully it's not too raw. Thank you for being here. Mr. Shaw. There you go. It's my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Jigger is quick to remind us again and again that technology success and climate change mitigation success is all about deployment. And to deploy, you need capital, which he's trying to make available to deserving solutions that might otherwise not be able to break through. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Jigger took on the Director of the Loan Programs Office with the government, giving up control of his investments and leaving a very exciting and lucrative role with Generate Capital. It's inspiring to see his self-sacrifice to build bridges to commercial financing for technologies that are ready to scale a transition to a global clean energy economy and mitigate climate change.